Life and Leadership with Bobby Kerr. A News Talk original. Brought to you by Amundi. An asset manager working today for all our tomorrows. My guest for this episode is known as an executive powerhouse. Louise Phelan has done it all in the corporate world. Born into a family of 17 in County Leash, she went on to seal a top job in Woodchester Investments, taken over by GE Capital, the finance arm of General Electric. She is best known for her role as Vice President of PayPal, where she set up a base for the company in County Louth, creating over 1,000 jobs. She now mentors others, sits on the board of Ryanair, and enjoys life in her luxury apartment in the exclusive Lansdowne Place in Dublin 4. That's where I met Louise to talk life and leadership. Louise, you're very welcome to the programme. Thanks a million, Bobby. Now, this is an amazing place here. Uh, How did you end up here? And tell us the story of this wonderful establishment. Yeah, I suppose by accident, really, Bobby. I was in London about four or five years ago, 2006, 16 or 2015. And um, a friend of mine was in a concierge service. And I remember coming back and talking to Sherry, to Simon and Sherry, and said, look, I'd love a concierge place if you ever hear one. And he heard it and rang me and... I bought it in 2017 off the plans and I didn't move in till 2019. Wow. And I'm wow. living my best life here. This is an interesting part of town, isn't it? Because it would have changed a lot over the years from the old, I suppose, rugby mecca of juries yeah. and the Berkeley Court and all that happened. But it's still changed, but it's still, it's still a happening place, but in a very different way. Absolutely. Well, look, we're getting the American Embassy moving in beside us. Yeah. I mean, how cool is that? Um, and such a huge landmark space for to be able to put the embassy. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see what kind of shape and colour oh, yeah. and creed it will look like. But yeah, and then great restaurants near the beach, walk distance to town, up from the golf course in Ellen Park. So look at it. Great. Now, let's go back to Rat Downey County Leash all those years ago. Born into a family of, wait till you hear it, 17 children. Was it chaos? It was chaos, <laughs> but it was organised chaos, yeah. Nine girls, eight boys. Um, yeah, my parents decided they'd have a big family. They bought a big Protestant, old Protestant rectory along when they had four boys and they filled it. And yeah, amazing. very amazing. So you were the second youngest of 17. Yeah. So did you even know your like the people at the other end of the family, your older brothers and sisters? Oh, yeah. uh, As in, were they almost leaving home when you were a, a, like a, a, a toddler? Yeah, well, all of us went to private boarding school. So our parents said, we'll educate you, go put you through what you needed to do from, from an education background and college if you wanted it. Um, and so a lot of them were in boarding school as I was growing up. So it was kind of ins and outs of yeah, boarding yeah. school and stuff like that. But yeah, we, like, we're very close family and very connected um, and would have been very close all, all grown up. And our parents would have insisted on sort of, you know, looking out for each other and that all happened along the way. So you must have, what, 50 pluses? Plus of nieces and nephews. I have, and well, I have about eight or ten grandnieces and nephews. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, I, I have to say, a big family is a great thing. And uh, you tell us about the sort of work ethic in the family, because clearly your parents providing for 17 of you, mm. you know, I'm sure there was a lot of hustling and doing various things, as you say, yeah. to put you all through boarding school. Yeah, I suppose, you know, when you look back now, Bobby, you think about what role did your mother play? What role did your father play? My mother was definitely the COO. She was the chief operating officer. Nothing like it. You know, everybody had a job and everybody had a job to do. And my father was probably the CEO out looking for new opportunities. He was a farmer. He was a county councillor. He was an auctioneer. 
you know, he he was he was the Lord Mayor of the town. You know, he worked yeah. hard, bought land, sold land, you know, farmed and bought cattle, sold cattle. So we were always hustling. Yeah. Um, and she was at home making sure the ship ran ship shape. And yeah. as I said, everybody had a job and we all helped and we all then went off to boarding school at different stages. So it was phased for them as well. But then we were all back at Christmas, Easter and summer and... It was like, you know, it, yeah. it was it was mayhem, but mayhem in a good way. That's great. Sounds like a wonderful, wonderful yeah. upbringing. Tell us then, you, you studied then to be a paediatric nurse. Yeah. Uh, where, what did you not like about that or why did you stop doing it? Yeah, I just, I was in Crumlin Hospital and I was with children all the time. And to be very honest, Bobby, I got so emotionally attached. I'd be doing my shift and then I'd go in when I'm not working because years and years ago, that's like 30 years ago, if you think about it, parents didn't stay with children when they went to hospital. They had other children at home or they couldn't afford to stay. There wasn't the Ronald McDonald house and all of that. So... Your nurses was really yeah. attached to those kids. And I just got very emotionally attached. And I decided I got chicken pox in my last year of college, last three months. And I went home and I decided, you know, this is not for me. And I'm just too emotionally involved. So I said to my parents, look, I'm going to go back to college. I'm going to do law and economics. And they said, hold on now a second. What does that mean? We paid once. We don't pay twice. <laughs> you're so on they, your own. You're on your own. Well, they introduced a new concept to me called Fund Thyself. So that meant get a job and go back to college at night. And, that's and what that said job was in James Cream. In Mars. Yeah. yeah uh, in Mars. Yeah. Again, a, a wonderful institution. Lots of good people have come through there. Fabulous. But yeah. also more importantly, I had loads of new nieces and nephews and chocolate was a very top priority. So they thought I was the CEO of Mars because every time they saw me, I was able to provide the chocolates and the sweets so yeah great company and I was there for about four and a half years but I had a very young boss he had a two-year-old and a four-year-old and he was going nowhere and it suited him where he lived and he just said look there's not enough room for you and me here we got to move on um, and he said I'm going nowhere so you're moving on so we started to look at the paper every Friday and look at jobs and go for interviews and I then got offered the job in Woodchester which um, became GE, is that right? Which became GE, yeah. yeah. GE Capital bought over Woodchester Bank. Right. It was an amazing acquisition, yeah. And again, a lot of people in Woodchester and those days, some of them who I know to this day, yeah. all sort of ferreted out pretty neat, uh, neat careers for themselves. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It was like a family business. We yeah. all did what we had to do and supported each other. And it was a very tight-knit community. And I'd still be friendly with a lot of those people in G and great people like Dan O'Connor, great people like the late Cormac McCarthy. Just great people yeah. to work with. Mary Brown, just amazing people. Yeah. yeah. So, so gee, then tell us about that, and and, and what type of organisation was it? Obviously, it was it was a much bigger entity than Woodchester. So, was that kind of your first step into the corporate sort of world? Absolutely. I yeah. mean, Woodchester was just like a family-run business, and then this big giant GE comes along, and they left us alone for about two years because we were producing numbers that was our, our our scorecards were green. So, once your scorecards are green, the Americans don't come near you. The jet stays out of Ireland. It ends up somewhere else yeah. but once you start to change colours from green to red or amber they're at your back door yeah. so we actually had a very interesting integration and transition and it took some time but what a great organisation I'm six sigmid I'm green belted I'm black belted I'm yellow belted like the learnings were just phenomenal and the people that were going through those learnings with me were in the very same boat as I was so we just worked together and just great people and great yeah. people that supported you through your career and educated you a new language which was amazing and you probably learned a lot there around 
I suppose, you know, the corporate brother over in the States, as you said, yeah. as long as the ink was black, they'd yeah. stay away. But yeah. you probably saw it was probably a really good grounding for what was to come. Absolutely, because I suppose you had learnt the smarts within the sort of family business of, 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 of Woodchester itself and everybody knew everybody. We grew up together and then you move into the corporate world and it was true corporate. I mean, you know, flying over to the States for meetings was like unheard of. I mean, you know, it was just amazing. Going for business class was just, you know, <laughs> all them things you never did when you were with Woodchester. And then to start doing that and working with a corporate animal was a learning curve in itself, but also... They they really did like the Irish, and we did work hard, and we delivered. Yeah, good numbers. Now you were you were headhunted, as I believe, to yeah. PayPal. And is am I, is it right in saying that you never heard of this company that headhunted you? No, I didn't, Bobby. <laughs> right, Bobby, shouldn't be saying things like that. I I knew eBay. I didn't know anything about PayPal. Right. Um, and eBay at that stage, eBay and PayPal were together. So I went for thirteen interviews. It took six months. Um, I was not that good. They just weren't good at hiring people at the time. Um, and that was one of the first things I changed. I wanted to ask you about that. 14 interviews or 13, 14 interviews, whatever it is. You you still see that a bit today, you know, even with the kids going for these tech sales jobs and that somebody does 13 interviews and then they don't get the job. Is that a waste of everybody's time? Totally. Yeah. Like, it's a waste of everybody's time. And also, what's part, part of it is, they don't give feedback. Yeah. Right? Now, some people don't like feedback. I see it as a gift. But if you do an interview, I always follow up with people because I feel like they've put their heart and soul in getting ready for that meeting. I think they deserve you to give them five minutes to say, here's where you did really, really yeah. well. Here's things you might think about. You're not giving negative feedback. That's not what it's about. You're trying to help the people along the way to get jobs, not to have 13 interviews and not get the job. And I just think sometimes people are not committed because they say, oh, Bobby, will you meet Louise? Oh, you know, Mike, will you meet Louise? For for what purpose? It's never a purpose. It's just nearly person flesh and you're trying to nearly... So it's it's almost treating the interviewee as a commodity that gets shoved around and get a, try and get some sort of consensus on yeah, hiring. And, s- and sometimes you need a lot of interviews, but sometimes it's not... 13 is not necessary, yeah. let me tell you. You don't change that different from zero interview yeah, to... I, I totally agree to, with you. Yeah. Uh, so so you did your your 13 interviews, you got the job, and then was... Uh, tell me about the career process, uh, progression then. Uh, when did you get your first promotion? Uh, obviously, uh, you know, a business that started with 200-odd people mm. in this country ended up with 3,000-plus. Mm. There's a lot of stories to tell along the way. Yeah, there's a lot of stories to tell. So I had being integrated with GE into compliance. Compliance was just coming into play in probably 1996, four, five, six. So I was asked to go on a programme with GE to integrate Woodchester with the compliance spin on it. So I'd done a lot of work on compliance and this role came up and they PayPal approached me for a compliance role. Right. But really I'm an ops person, I'm a sales person. So I went in, I thought, look, it's five minutes from my house, it's very convenient, and it's time to have a change after 16 years with Woodchester stroke GE. Um, and I spent six months on one day in my compliance role because you couldn't move out of your existing role unless you were six months in the job. Wow. 
And a role came up and I just went to the HR team and I said, look, I'd like to apply for that role. And they said, no, you can't. You have to be six months in your current role. But that job is going to go over this, your six months. So I had joined on the 6th of the 606. And six months later, I got my first promotion to be a director of risk operations. Okay. With 200 people. Wow. And the... I suppose you you, you you then progressed fairly rapidly up through the organization. Yeah. What was what was the key to winning all those promotions in I, I suppose it wasn't really a corporate environment, mm. but it was a, a business that was moving at a million miles mm. an hour. Mm. So mm. to be noticed, to be seen, to be picked out as somebody who is a potential leader here, what what do you put that down to? What did you do right? I suppose, Bobby, I was true to myself. I made sure I hired good people around me. And there was good managers there, and I added to those good managers and looked at skills and competency. But most importantly, Bobby, I looked at the will. Had they got the will to get in the trenches and take this organisation from a 200 people to 3,000 and wear the green jersey well? And I hired really good people. I worked with great people that were already there. And we changed kind of structural ways we did things. And we made sure we were prepared for that monthly call with the Americans. Tell the story. Don't be telling the bad things. Tell the mixed story and tell the full story. Good, bad and indifferent. And go ugly early with your story if it's bad. And was that the communication sort of method? One meeting a month that you prepared for? One meeting a month. And this state, there would be... And it was a big deal. It was a big deal. Listen, everybody was, you know, suited and booted for that one meeting. And you went in and nobody moved out of that room till that meeting was over. And it could be four, five, six hours presenting your business, where you're going, what you're doing, what it looked like. And it was great learning for all of us too. I mean, we were able to hold around. We'd be proud to say we're Irish and we're going to take this organisation to a different level. But we all felt the same. And were you competing then, I suppose, with other jurisdictions in South America or whatever it was? Yeah, yeah. all the time. So Oman, Nebraska was the first out operation centre. And so I was competing with Oman, Nebraska. Um, and we then built a place in Arizona. We were competing with our peers all the time to get the business and get the jobs. Yeah. So that in itself was internal politics, but also that was internal fighting against your peers. And I don't mean fighting, it's competing and winning to say why are you better and what what cost savings can you give? What good service can you give? So, you know, don't ask for what you wish for. Yeah. Because you get it and then don't tell them you can't hire or don't tell them you can't get good people. You're on the dime then, you have to make sure you execute. So it was that engagement with all the leaders. It was hiring new and the right people and understanding our skills gap and our competencies and bridging them. Had you much interaction with the founders uh, in terms of in those earlier days uh, when the business was, I suppose, smaller. Yeah, so when the business was smaller, I certainly had great interactions with the CEOs all of the time. But even the senior leadership team in the States were very hands-on and very engaged. Really, really well. So, like the CEO's exec, I would have been reporting into maybe one, two steps away from them. Then it was one step away from them. Then it was a step to them. So, you learn as well. You learn to manoeuvre the and understand the Americans and understanding what they're looking out for. They're looking out for the story, but also looking out that you have and you've got the solution to fix whatever problem. And there was loads of problems. I had loads of awesome failures, as they call them. But you know what? Once you tell people you have the awesome failure, that halves the problem, if that makes sense. Um, the Dundalk operation was one that, again, you, you seem to have boxed 
very clever, mm. uh, certainly on the media landscape. Uh, uh, telling Ender Kenny you could sort about a problem for him, and he basically delivered for you in the sense that yeah. uh, he came down and he made the announcement, mm. and it was a big, what was it, a thousand jobs? jobs. Yeah. yeah. In Which was a lot then, yeah. 2012, when Ireland Inc. was on its knees and I picked up the phone and I spoke to his secretary at the time and said, Nick, I need to see the Taoiseach. And he went, well, Louise, you know, I know you're from old. If you need to see him, let me give you a slot. And I was in the next day at 11 o'clock. And I said to him, listen, I've a thousand jobs to offer you if you want them, but you're on the steps of the Merion and you're announcing them and you're inviting him. He went... Can I kiss you? And I went, sure. <laughs> no problem. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. So yeah. it was it was a fabulous time for our link and so delighted to give it to a county like Dundalk. County Loud are just, they were amazing people. They rode in behind us. There was never an obstacle. Every time I made contact with anybody that helped us on that process, it was absolutely amazing. So, no, I would say County Loud was just amazing for us. It was far enough away that I wasn't competing with Dublin. And Porrick White, you know, Mike Cullen, all these people were just great. They took barriers away from you as opposed to creating them. You ended up as uh, the Vice President for Global Operations in EMEA, that's Europe, Middle East, Africa. So it was much more than about Ireland for you towards the, the back end of your career there. Yeah, it was. But one stage, Bobby, I ran all of the operations for America as well. I rang the global police for operations. And then it just got too big. Yeah. It just got too big. And then they asked would I run all of Europe, Middle East and Africa, which I was very happy to do. I was travelling 230 days a year, going to Christ across the globe. There's not much glamour in that, is there? There is no glamour in yeah, that. There's yeah. no glamour in that. So I was delighted to be able to segregate the business out and the Americas took was hived off and then Europe, Middle East and Africa. And it was more managed than, you know, me gone every Sunday morning and me coming back maybe Saturday mornings, yeah. you know, or staying away for two and three weeks at a time. But that was part and parcel of the job. You're either in or you're half in. And, and when you look back on those, what was it, 16 years, was it? 13 years. 13 yeah. years. When you look back on those 13 years, was the trade-off worth it in terms of flying so many days a year, being away from friends and family? When you well, look at it now... When I look at it now, I would say, maybe I should have stopped earlier. But you know what, Bobby? We, it was growing a business. It was passion. I loved yeah. it. I loved the energy. My family were amazing because they'd make sure that I was the first person to be contacted to say, there's a family event going on, can you make it? And I would have moved mountains to, to make any family event. But they always thought about me first, and I, which I didn't realise until much later. And I really appreciated that, you know, my family knew what I was trying to do and knew what I was trying to achieve. But also they were respectful of, of where I was working and what I had to do. So... I would say, you know, I'm making up for it now, absolutely. But yeah. I really must say, look, if you make, take a path in life and you make decisions and you go with them decisions, are they perfect all the time? To me, life is about the 80-20 rule. 80% of the time I did the best I could do. 20% of the time I probably could change a bit. Yeah. Uh, you, when you stood down from PayPal, it took Manny by surprise. Uh, why did you leave in the end? 
look, Bobby, as I said, I'd done my, my 16 years with GE, 13 years with PayPal. It's something had to get off the merry-go-round. Yeah. And I just felt that I wanted to do something for myself. Yeah. And I just wanted to pause button. No, I get it and completely. I, so I you, just, don't have to, you yeah. don't have to justify it to me, but I, I absolutely get it. Yeah, so uh, why I, one would want to yeah. have had a good innings there to leave out a high note. In a high note. And, and do something yourself. Yeah, and I'd made good money and I was able to financially support myself going forward. And... I stopped. I did every five-star hotel in Ireland the first four months. <laughs> I had the best time ever. But that, I was going to stay semi-retired. Um, and then my brother runs a family business, Field Energy Group, and he got very, very sick. Um, and ended up in, in Vincent's for a good period of time. He had to get his blood changed every day. I got him an apartment in here. He moved in next door to me, and he was there for seven months. And he asked me, Louise, I, I need help. And listen, your family is family. Yeah. Um, and I could hear my mother on my right shoulder saying, that's what you need to do. I didn't want to do it, but I respected that it's family business. And I went in and I ran it for him while he was unwell and passed through it. And I've handed back the baton to him now and he's flying. So God. how many years did you do that for? So I did that for nearly two years. Right. And COVID hit in the middle. Yeah, so, so it was a very difficult time then. Very difficult for time. For loads of different reasons. Exactly. And you know what? It kept me out of trouble for that period of time of COVID. But there was always an end date. And he knew that and I knew that. Um, would I have chosen it? No. But listen, you do what you have to do when family is first. And what did you learn about renewables that you didn't know before? You, did you know anything about the kind of business? Or what? Like obviously, clearly you had experience at operations in a very big business. So you were obviously able to bring all that uh, to the energy business. But was it was there a technical difference? Were there different types of people, different types of projects, a different yeah. world to different, some degree? Bobby, I didn't know the front of a panel to the back of a panel because yeah. it's a solar business. I didn't know what an inverter was. But you know what? You learn very quickly. And, you know, running business is all about widgets doesn't matter where the solar panels, it doesn't matter where it's money, it all has to be led and delivered on time and within. So I had loads of engineers, I had loads of technical people that knew a lot more than me, but you know what? Knock yourself out. I was never going to be that technical person, but I still knew, you know, how the whole system worked and it was a very simple business. Yeah. You know, a very simple business. So you get the land, you build the infrastructure... Easy. Structure, get throw the, the panel on it, get the license, put it into a into a substation, look at the readings going into the substation, ESB reads a, a, a meter, I read the meter, Somebody send me the money. Yeah. Somebody hits a switch and the money comes in. Chitching. It was a chitching <laughs> business. <laughs> so really, so you, did you enjoy it? I know you went in for specific mm. reasons to help family out, mm. but and did two probably fairly hard years there, I'd suggest. It was uh, a learning curve for two years, but I knew there was an end in sight. But also I knew he had built a £50 million balance sheet business that I had to make sure and mind and protect. Yeah. And I grew that business significantly alongside you know him while he's getting blood transfusions and stuff like that. But the reality was it pushed me outside my comfort zone. And you know what? One of the best things I did, because you know what? I'm very clear now I never want to work full time again. How is your brother now? Doing great. Back, yeah. Took back the mantra, flying it, you know, has, has closed many big deals since then and doing great. But I mean, look, I was very proud to be able to say, you do what you have to do where family is concerned and you plug and play. And would it be a choice of a role I would have picked? No. But you know what? That's life. Life and Leadership with Bobby Kerr. A News Talk original. Brought to you by Amundi. 
an asset manager working today for all our tomorrows. I know you've moved on from PayPal now. We'll, we'll just have one more question on it. Uh, the the recent, I suppose, tech slowdown, lots of jobs being lost across many businesses, including that of PayPal. What do you say to that or what do you think about that? Mm. Clearly, it's something that doesn't give you any joy, but was it to be expected in your view? Yeah, I mean, I think it was to be expected. I mean, you know, I think with a number of hires, I think, um, you know, I think it was important that, you know, the tech business um, took a major slump. Uh, we all saw that's the, the back end of that and the front end of that, whether it was PayPal's or whoever it was. I, I suppose I think, Bobby, at the end of the day, you know, costs, costs are important. Of course they are. Costs are important. And if you can have somebody that can, technology can do the job for you, other than humans, you should focus in on that. But here's what I tell you, Bobby, is I be firmly believe that by the next, by end of 2030, there's probably 50% of jobs that are not even created yet, that are going to be new opportunities out there. If you look at, like, the business I was in, the renewables, like, if you look at solar panels, if you look at building them, if you look at... You could only get them in China. Now you can get them everywhere. Yeah. So there's huge opportunities. And I suppose here's what I'd say to people that are going to be impacted by these job losses and redundancy packages and all that. I would say be strong. Because the reality is, this is a crossroads in your life. You mightn't want it, but I also think the grass is always greener. And as I always say to people, keep looking through the front windscreen. The back one is much smaller. Mm. There's huge new opportunities out there. You have great skills, great competencies. Other companies will love to get you. And do you think that, again, the way the landscape of employment has changed, you know, none of us have jobs for life Mm that the kind of thing like the slowdown in tech and the big la- the multinational layoffs and all that 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 that's probably going to affect much more people across the society than it used to in other words getting laid off or you know running out a road on a particular job is going to happen that's going to happen to most young people I would totally agree because I think yeah. there's so much innovation happening now. There's, it's not the same as manufacturing years and years ago. It's not the same as, you know, many industries that were fixed. It's now people are trying and testing new things all the time. Digitization, technology, smart factory. These were words that we didn't even use before. Yeah. But this is the area that all our young people are going to be heading towards because that's the way technology has taken us. But I firmly also believe, Bobby, technology is going nowhere. Yeah. Albeit these technology companies are having an impact now, I firmly believe they will all be back and be back to the state they were in a year, 18 months ago, because businesses need technology. So you don't worry for foreign direct investment in Ireland? You don't see them any kind of mass exodus or anything like that? That You see them here to stay? Maybe some of them might bring in, retract their horns slightly? and reinvent themselves or do something slightly different. But essentially, you see them being here to stay. Yeah, and I think, Bobby, keep remembering, foreign direct investment doesn't come because of just Ireland. FDI companies come because they know they get the talent. They know they can depend on people. They know how well the Irish work and how hard they work. And again, we bring something to their table. We have the top 10 technology companies here. The HQs are all here because we do make a difference and because we give them value for money back to the mothership. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. That has to be 
uh, that has to be absolutely endorsed. So, um, what do you make of the whole employment landscape post-COVID? All the working from home stuff, uh, the way a lot of things have been turned on their head, empty offices in D4, people working in home, people working in their kitchens. Mm. But, but, you know, in terms of work getting done, is it just, will it just get done, but just get done in a different way? Or do we need to manage people very differently now? Ah, a couple of things in that, I suppose, Bobby. I definitely think we need to manage people differently. Um, I think, you know, I know two companies, major companies have gone four day week. They don't work Fridays, but their productivity is through the roof Monday to Thursday. That may work for some companies, depending on the industry you're in, depending on the products you have. But here's what I would say. I think we have to think differently. What we did before by going in Monday to Friday, sitting at a desk from seven to seven is gone. Mm. I don't I don't disagree with people have to be in the office at some stage. Uh, it just won't work unless people are in and out of the office at some stage. And there has to be some form of a hybrid model of working from home and in the office. Now, some jobs lend that the person will be more productive working from home. And that needs to be looked at. But I think you need to categorise and look at the roles. I think you also need to make sure the mental health of people, yeah. the mental health of people. It's very hard looking out the window all day, every day and seeing nobody. Yeah. But if you even go back to even your earlier days in, 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 in business, you know, so much of what we did was social. You talked there about, you know, the crack you had with the Woodchester people and all that. Like, if that bit is missing from work, if work only becomes something to provide a wage, like it has to be an outlet for our intelligence, mm. another place to meet social beings. Mm. Like, so that's the bit that we need to be careful that we don't lose. Yeah, and you know what? Young people, it's the same as we all did. We all need to be out. We all need to be socialising. We all need to be learning from each other. Yeah. So I think the social aspect is as important as the work aspect because people work for people they like. People mm. buy from people they like and if they don't meet them, how can they like them? Yeah. So I think it's really important that we balance social, well-being and getting the job done because the mm. job has to get done as well. Yeah. Tell me about... Uh your non-executive role in Ryanair. You're there almost a decade, is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Right, so tell us about that. So Louise Phelan comes in, uh, this girl who knows everything from PayPal, and what, what she's here now as a non-exec on the Ryanair board. What does she do? Well, first of all, you know, Bobby, I was very fortunate that, that Michael looked and sourced me out. Um, and basically, um, the skill that he wanted me to bring to that board table was around customer services. Right. He knew what I had done in PayPal and customer services. Um, always better was, was, was being born at the time. And he wanted me to focus and support the teams and support the board on customer services, on payments and on technology. Um, and yeah, and I'm a decade there. We have a great team around the table. Um, there's no egos. We all say what we have to say. We do what we have to do. And it's a very mature table. I'm not saying mature board. It's a mature table where people go, what about this and what about that? What would you do here? So you're, there's a level of engagement that's just really, really great. And the airline industry has gone through a lot in the last couple of years. Yeah. Ryanair has gone through a lot in the last couple of years. But the most important thing is we're very focused. Um, we're very focused on our numbers. The team are amazing in Ryanair. The leadership team, the team that's in Ryanair are amazing people, hard work and dedicated and are so committed. And they worked in the office through all of COVID. They may have worked two days at home, but they were always somebody in the office. Yeah. So it's a, it was busy. We had about 22, 23 board meetings that year. That's what you have to do. 
it's interesting as well, though, if you take a company like Ryanair, and again, you know, a fantastic business. But, you know, if you look at the pendulum over the last, say, three or four years, losing hundreds of millions to making hundreds a few months later. Yeah. Like, there's got to be a lot of stuff going on in the middle of all that mm-hmm. where you're, you're looking at saying, you know, are we going to turn out the lights here mm-hmm. or are we going to go and keep growing like we've grown for the last, you know, number of decades? So I, I, I'd suggest those board meetings have got to be pretty interesting. Yeah, they have. And you know what, Bobby? You have to, you know, take space and you have to be going at a pace to be stay resilient. Yeah. So pace and space are really important when you're thinking about resilience. And that was all about resilience as a board, resilience as a team, resilience for the industry. You can bend, but you can't break. Mm. And I think the pace and space that we worked through as a board and the leadership team worked through helped significantly. And look at, we're in a really good place. We're in, we are, it we're, bounced back much quicker than I'd say even the board probably realised. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But then people like, like to travel and people like to get away. And, you know, Ireland was a great place for lockdown. But, you know, there has to be light at the end of the tunnel that you have to get out and get to a bit of yeah. sun. And that's what people need. A couple of other things, if I can ask you, Louise. Sure. Um, You've been part of the Going for Growth, the female entrepreneur mentoring program, I think for a number of years now. How important is it to help uh, other uh, female entrepreneurs? We were with Amy Connolly this morning, who spoke very highly of you and her interaction with you, Mm -hmm. again, around customer service and that. So does that, I I presume that, that you do that effortlessly. But here's what I'd say, Bobby, is this is the time to give back I wish I had a going for growth group when I started out and I probably wouldn't have had as many awesome failures as I had. But you know what? I learned from my awesome failures. You don't learn from the cheerleading stuff. And yeah, Amy Connolly was on my my group. And look, I had great people like these businesses were great businesses and they just needed help and guidance along the way. And I just feel I I have this. I have the years of experience, but also help them to grow the business because we were growing those businesses significantly. And we have to make some decisions and go ugly early on some products and cut them and move forward. Yeah. And, you know, and they just, it's a great ground for people. And do you think Ireland's a difficult place to be a female entrepreneur? Do you agree with gender quotas and that kind of stuff? Or where do you sit around that? Yeah, so look, at I think Ireland is a great place for female entrepreneurs. And I think they're they're blossoming through programs like Going for Growth, through Enterprise Ireland, through, through um, KPMG, like great companies that are supporting them. Here's what I would say about quotas. I believe, you know, we're making a massive difference now, but they're, it's obligated. So the obligation is on companies to do that. It probably should have been done a lot earlier and then sunset it, where it means there's a time limit on it. So that we can crack the nut so that we bring in diversity of women, diversity of age, gender, whatever it is. But the time, there should be a time limit on. Okay. So so that there's a period of time where you have to have X amount of participation of females in this business. But it doesn't, it maybe lasts three years or four years or whatever it is. Because the nut was too big to crack to just try and change from 100% male on boards to doing a diverse board females, you know, all the diversities that you can think of. And, and we're, we're struggled. And, you know, we're struggling sometimes to find females to go on boards yeah. still, which is, a, which is a challenge. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about what brands you admire, who's doing things right. 
uh, you have a bit more time now to look around and <laughs> see who's doing what. Uh, what brands impress you? Yeah, so I suppose, you know, good. Amazon is a fabulous brand. Their service is amazing, you know. Um, and do, you, some, do you know much about what happens under the bonnet at Amazon? Yeah, so I visited them more than once. Yeah. Um, and look, at under the bonnet, it's very interesting. But look, at you know, next day delivery, you know, they're now into food. With Whole Foods, they're just doing a lot of new and thinking ideas. Um, you know, and I suppose I give a plug to a couple of investments in, you know, Open for Vintage, where they, they're doing all the vintage handbags, vintage products, all the jewelries, great brands. They're now working with Farfetch, brilliant opportunities, you know. So there's some great brands out there, and there's some ones that's such innovation that is just amazing. And again, I still say some of the ideas haven't been thought about that some of our nieces and nephews and children are going to be working for that haven't been even created yeah, yet. Yeah. So I think entrepreneurship, and Irish people are very entrepreneurial. They just sometimes need that help and support, like the Going for Growths, and Paul of Simons has done an amazing job with KPMG and, and Enterprise Ireland. I'd be interested in your views, Louise, on Generation Z, comparing with millennials, millennials uh, which you employed. Is there a poorer work ethic? You know, everybody has to have a master's now, it seems. Uh, no one seems to want to do an apprenticeship. There just seems to be a different route to work. Is the expectation of some of the, I suppose, prospective employees too high? Yeah, I suppose here's what I'd say, Bobby. I didn't do a master's, and I remember saying to my boss in, in, in PayPal, you know, I'm going to go back and do a master's. And he said, hold on a second now. There's no problem. We'll pay for you to do the master's, but you could give the master's course. So why would you do that? And you know what? It was the best bit of advice. I felt I needed to nearly tick that box because everybody had a master's. Yeah. And he went, you'd give the course. So why would you waste your time? You're going to have to invest a lot of time outside of work on that master's. And you know what? It was the best bit of advice I got. Here's what I would say. There is an expectation from a number of people around given masters, like parents, like society, like companies. If you don't want to do a master's, don't do a master's. And here's what I would say to a lot of people that I, my personal choice is, I would go and do my college I would go and work and then I'd go back and do my master's. Yeah. I would learn a bit on the job and then I'd go back and do my master's because I think you will get a lot more value out of your master's. Yeah. That'd be my personal opinion. There also does there seem, seems to be, does there not, like a almost an artificial bar that keeps getting higher so that people are saying, oh, well, we're only employing people who have master's. Like, Yeah, and I think it, that's just sad. I think yeah. that's, that says a lot about the company because if you don't have a mix of people with no college degrees, with no masters and with apprentices. You don't have that mix of diversity around thinking around your table. Yeah. So you're you're creating another animal like you would when you had just men on boards. Yeah. Well then you're only getting the man's view of the world. So I think if you don't have diverse employees then you won't have diversity of thought around your table. Never mind diversity of gender or male, female or whatever the balance is. But I think yeah, a master's is not all made out to. College is not as all made out to. I think, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying think about whether it's right for you. Yeah, okay, good advice. You were named Ireland's most trusted leader in 2014. Why did you get that title? And how does a leader actually gain trust? Yeah, so that was, you know, probably my proudest moment in the sense of all the employees voted me as the most trusted leader across all the companies in Ireland. And I would say... 
look, it's about being open and honest. It's about having that cup of coffee in the morning when you're waiting for it and you're asking them, how are you? How's your family? How's the kids? How's things going? Are you enjoying the job? Are you not enjoying the job? And you know what? People just want to tell you the truth. They want to say, I'm loving it. They want to say, I'm hating it. They want to say, I love the food or I don't love the food or there's not enough chips on a Friday or all them kind of things. You have to get down to brass tacks and you have to be able to communicate with the people all the way up the ladder because you meet them all on the way back down. That's true. And what do you feel is the most common reason for people actually failing or indeed giving up? I think, first of all, I think um, it's down to, if they're in work, it's down to their manager. If a manager is not minding you and misses the opportunity to know and track that there's something not right or that you're not performing or why you're not performing, understanding and asking that question, I think a lot of people just don't have good managers that check in with them on a regular basis and people then leave because, you know what, we all like to work for people that we like. Okay, I think that's good advice. So please tell me, if you would, who is your legend of leadership? Absolutely, without doubt, Mary Robinson. Wow. Um, She just broke every ceiling there was for females becoming the first president. She put Ireland Inc. in a different modern place and I just think she is, she's just been a powerhouse for Ireland in a very quiet and very succinct way. But she made a very big difference for Ireland and for women in Ireland. And if you were given some advice to a younger Louise feeling, your younger self back in those days in Ratdowney in County <laughs> Leash, what would that advice be? I'd say number one, Bobby, travel. It's an educating in itself. It's standing on your own two feet. I just think embrace travel, come back then and do a master's, work in different companies. But the second thing I would say is money will never make you happy. Yeah. It's the memories and what you've achieved along the way will make you happy. Money won't make you happy. So make sure you're the happiest in your job because you spend most of your time in your job. Great. What's next for Louise Phelan? I am looking at um, certain things around podcasts and I'm also doing a number of angel investments, helping companies grow. Um, I do a lot of strategy days with big companies around where they're going, what they're thinking about, what they should be thinking about, just from my experience. But Bobby, I'm just loving my new life, not having to be work full time. I'm in the gym every morning at seven. I'm very fortunate to have a gym here. I still do my gym every day at seven. I just love it. I've taken up golf. I'm just now living my best life. Yeah, and, and, and you know, if you can do that and you're clearly excited about all the work that you're doing with Ryanair and some of the, uh, the angel investments and that. So if you can have a balance like that, even talking about podcasts is going to keep you closer to business. It's going to clo- keep you closer to what you're interested in. But you don't have to have employees. You don't have to have all the complicated stuff that sometimes has to go with it. Absolutely, Bobby. <laughs> I was just thinking about today. I was somebody was talking about the Northern Lights, and I was saying, yeah, I saw the Northern Lights. I was on a leadership program in in the, in, in um, Norway, and I said, I just don't miss those leadership trainings, those programs that you had to go cheap dip through. I just wake up and I think, oh my God, my life is so little bit simple now, but loving every bit of it. Great, great. Thank you very much, Louise. I really appreciate you doing this. Thanks for your honesty. Thanks for your openness. We really appreciate it. It's been a great interview. Thank you. Thanks, Bobby. Cheers. Cheers. Life and Leadership with Bobby Kerr. A News Talk original. Brought to you by Amundi. 
an asset manager working today for all our tomorrows. 